Uh, it's good to be able to be with you this morning. As we're going to get a chance to dig in for a couple of weeks together on Mondays in Second Thessalonians. And so I'd like to invite you to join me as we pray. We ask God to come and be our teacher as we dig in today. So let's pray. God, thanks for this morning and thank you for just the privilege I have of being here and being with my friends and so many of uh, those that I'm privileged to connect with uh, here at Concordia. And Lord, we ask that you'd bless us, uh, that you would guide your word into our hearts today. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is our teacher who speaks these things to take root in us and to bring application and understanding into each of our lives. May you be glorified in the things that we do during this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been asked by Pastor Anderson to do 2 Thessalonians. Now, I'm not sure how you do 2 Thessalonians without 1 Thessalonians, so we're going to take a little, we're going to run backwards before we run forwards, um, but be with you for the three weeks because there's three chapters uh, for that particular book. So I encourage you, uh, whether you've got your Bibles or whether you're using a an app off your phone to just get over there to, to Thessalonians. You don't have to land in a particular one of those first or second books yet because we're going to do a little bit of overview as we get started. This uh, is a, a set of books, these two books that happened pretty much during the first century. They were the, the ones that, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote. Probably some think that these may be the very earliest of the books uh, that Paul wrote, uh, it may, so that makes them maybe the oldest of our New Testament books. They're books that are written very, very much about a circumstance that's going on within this community and this young community of faith. There are some significant challenges that they have, and that is Paul's concern for them that they could learn to live as Christians in the midst of an environment that was very much affected by the Greek and cultural realities in which they lived. The second of those um, challenges is that as people, as Christians, they were facing significant persecution. And thirdly, that there was a great degree of apprehension, concern, and in many cases, misunderstanding about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you in just a couple of minutes why a focus on the second coming of Christ became so very important for the city of Thessalonica, and why in its cultural and religious understandings, even in its paganism, that a second coming was something that they understood. And so it makes a lot of sense that it got very confused. Now, in parallels for today, it makes me think of several things. First, that every single one of us all the time are trying to learn to live as followers of Christ with a more increased and committed biblical worldview, that we'd be able to look at our lives and look at our circumstances and such, and to how can I live out my life for Jesus Christ. The second thing is, I think, too, within our world today, and while not so much within our nation, but 80 nations around the world, Christians are persecuted because of what they believe. And so these words that Paul would speak to the Thessalonians in times of significant persecution are very definitely real for an awful lot of people of our world. Uh, many of you know that I spend a good amount of time in China, in southwest China, and one of the things that I've learned from the, the church in the mountain villages in China is that the books of Thessalonians are very important for them because as they have suffered persecution, these words of God through his Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, are things that give them great comfort and encouragement even as they face those realities. The third thing I think where it fits for us in our own connections 
is that we have kind of cycles within our world, within our lives, and within the church where the theme of Jesus and his second coming, and when is it going to happen, and how is this going to be, uh, where those keep kind of coming forward within the life of the church. And so having an understanding and the importance of what it means for Jesus to come again, and what that says to our faith as we're trying to live it out in the midst of our post-Christian age is a real important consideration as well. So those three things, living your life for Christ, living in the midst of persecution, living with a knowledge and a certainty that Christ will come again, are all things that I think that can speak into our own circumstances as the people of God. Now when you think about it, so we're going to spend three weeks with the Thessalonians, let me just kind of share a couple of things with you about this city of Thessalonica. If you look up on the screen and you see the map that's here, um, there's the map. Up on the top left-hand corner, drew a circle around it so it'd be easy to see. Uh, Macedonia, it's the largest city, Roman city of Macedonia. It's above Greece. You can see right below there where Corinth and Athens are located. Uh, If you look at it as well, you'll note that it's located on a very significant uh, harbor, a very significant bay. It's also a place that was on uh, the Roman highway, this very, very important road that the Romans built in order to connect all of their critical cities with Rome so that the people would have connections, but they would also be able with their armies to bring control and authority into those settings. Now, because of its location... It was also part of very major trade routes, and so it was a city of wealth, it was a city of significance. And so it made sense that the Apostle Paul would go there in order to proclaim the hope and the wonder of Jesus Christ within that community. Now, when you think about some of the religious backgrounds and such, the people had what a lot of of people did at the time, and that was the expressions of Greek philosophy and Greek religious um, expressions of Zeus and all the rest of, the, of the, that whole uh, clan of gods and goddesses. There was some of that that was always part of that world. Uh, they also had within it uh, the cult of the Roman emperor. Uh, if you were a significant Roman city, in order to, for things to stay well with you, you were also willing to see the emperor as a god. And so that cult of the emperor became an important thing that they were living with in the realities in which they found themselves in that first century world. The third thing, and this is one of the pieces why it to me is so very, very important about this teaching that Paul does around the second coming of Jesus Christ, is this character or this cult of Cabrius. Now, Cabrius is a local deity that they worship. And what this is, is a story about a young man who was wrongly put to death by his two brothers. And the belief is, is that Cabrius would come again in order to bring hope and encouragement for the downtrodden in Thessalonica. Now, if you think about some of the parallels in the story of Jesus, Jesus, who was wrongly put to death, at least by physical realities and cultural standards, certainly God's plan for our salvation, and yet with the promise that he also is going to come again. Now, when the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas, they they show up inside of Thessalonica, there's all kinds of problems because as they're beginning to proclaim, people are beginning to resist. They're beginning to push back. They're beginning to challenge these things that the Apostle Paul is teaching. And it actually starts a riot. We see that in Acts chapter 17. And in that, and in the marketplace, in Acts chapter 17, we have 
Paul and, and company are actually kind of escorted away so that they're kept away from that harmful environment. But they grab hold of one of the young believers, uh, a guy by the name of Jason, and they actually make him post bail, uh, kind of post a, a sum of money in order to kind of make up for the riot and the problems that they caused. But immediately after that, it says that Paul and his companions are kind of moved out of the city and they head off on their journey. So they're only in Thessalonica for a very brief period of time. And, and just some of the studying that I've done would suggest that maybe because of this local cult of Cabrius, that there was that kind of a pushback, that some of the things that they were hearing and some of the things that were being taught were really challenging the belief systems that were important within that culture. Now, as we consider what Paul communicates to this young church, we need to know and understand that there are some differences between, um, some slight differences between the book of 1 Thessalonians and the book of 2 Thessalonians. Shortly after Paul's been there with the people, he writes this letter to them that we have as 1 Thessalonians. And there's two significant concerns that he's got, similar to the ones that I shared with you before. And that is he's, first of all, deeply concerned that this young congregation might collapse in the face of this hostile pressure, the pressure that Paul himself experienced and understands with the nature of this community. And the second thing is that Paul is concerned that the behavior of the believers could call into question the validity and the integrity of the gospel. So he's got two concerns, and we see it throughout the book. And that is, can you stand strong and firm? And with that, he teaches them about the second coming of Christ to be an encouragement for them on why they can and should stand firm because Jesus is coming again. And then the second call is to live faithfully as a child of God in the midst of this culture in which they find themselves. Now, Paul writes, and I want you to look at this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, He says to them in this first book, we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Paul says, I wanted to come back, I wanted to work with you on this, and I haven't been able to do so. And so what they end up doing is they send Timothy, Paul's young disciple, to go be with them. And here's this reference regarding Timothy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who was our brother, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So that's what he does. Timothy goes there to try to encourage them in the midst of all of these problems, all of these challenges that they are facing. What we believe is that something must have happened after Timothy's visit, because apparently Timothy, when he comes back, gives a rather glowing, encouraging kind of thing. But something happens. And the thought is that what might have happened was a very significant increase in the persecution by the church. And that's really what chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians is about, is the persecution of the church. The second thing that he says in his second letter to the Thessalonians is that he is trying to bring clarity of what might have been a misunderstanding on their part about the second coming of Christ. Things that he had said to them in 1 Thessalonians about how Jesus was going to come again. I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep and the whole story of Christ coming in the clouds with those who have gone before us. And there must be some confusion there. Maybe because of the Cabrius cult that is there in their midst that 
they are thinking and trying to maybe overlap that understanding of what a second coming of their local deity meant where there was even greater confusion for them. The third of these key focus within 2 Thessalonians is his attempt again to direct them to appropriate Christian life in the midst of all of these challenges. Now, having kind of laid that foundation, I want to jump in with you a couple verses into chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. So I want to invite you to turn over there and have a chance to kind of look with me at this. We're going to pick it up at verse 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. And as we do this, I want you to hear that this whole end of this first chapter, that's not very long, but it's all about Paul trying to speak into their hearts in the midst of this persecution and struggle and what it means to live your life for Christ in the midst of that kind of opposition and how they have maybe seen their circumstances and thought that God was against them rather than for them. And I think all of us have had that kind of experience from time to time. When circumstances come against us that are difficult, we start to ask the question, where do those circumstances come from? Who's causing them? Have I done something wrong where God maybe is trying to discipline me for them? Uh, If you look on on the, here, let's just look at this text since it's up. Read it with me, would you? Let me engage you with that. Let's read it together. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. We boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and the trials you're enduring. Now, it's very common for Paul to give lots of complimentary stuff in the beginning of his letter. He builds them up, and then he'll say, now but, all right, and he'll talk about the things and challenges. But in this case, he's saying to them, look, we understand your circumstance, but what we see is that your faith is growing. What we see is that there's a greater love that each of you have for one another. What we see, as a matter of fact, we even boast about is how you're persevering, you're standing strong in the midst of that circumstance. What's really kind of neat when you... uh, when you look at uh, verse 4, and you can see it in your text, I just didn't include it all because I tried to make it fit on the screen. But he says, therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your persecution. Because we see this love, because we see this faith, because we see of your perseverance, we boast. We celebrate what God's doing and hold you up as an example of faithfulness in the midst of these kinds of challenges. But it's at the beginning of verse 5 that we have something very, very significant that he says because he's trying to help them understand that what they've experienced and what they've learned and what they're doing as they grow and stand firm, he says there's a reason for it. And you see it in verse 5. Read this with me. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Notice those first couple of words. All this is evidence. What's the this? That you're growing in faith, that you're growing in love, that you're persevering and standing firm. All of this, Thessalonians, all of this, people of Concordia, is evidence, is evidence that God is at work in you, that God is doing spectacular things in you. You don't have to see it as God is correcting and disciplining or punishing you because things are struggling along the way. Instead, 
He invites us to a different perspective on the circumstances in which we find ourselves. If you go on with the, with the text, you see that there is in, in, in verse 6 where it says, God is just. Now, I don't know if you can see, if it's not on the screen, but if you can see it in your Bible, it says, God is just. And then there's punctuation that's next. God is just, full colon. And from that full colon, it would say to us that he's going to kind of define what that means when God is acting in his justice. And what he goes on to say is that in his justice, God will pay back those who are attacking you. But in his justice, and in verse 7 he says, God will give relief to you who are troubled. It's two, two sides. That God in his justice takes care of his own. That God will be the one who pays back or brings vengeance on those that are persecuting the church. It's what God will do to protect those that are his children. But you need to know, church, as you live this, as you struggle with this, this reality, and that is that God will give relief to you who are troubled. Now, there's an interesting thing that, that says in here as you go through this little section of Scripture. He says in the second half of verse 7, he says, This will happen... When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, that's the second coming of Christ. This vengeance, this pain back, this giving relief to you, both things happen when Christ comes again. It is the ultimate justice. It is that God's gift through Christ in faith that we would have our salvation and know that when he comes again, we're going to receive all the wonders and glories that God has for us. He'll do that when he, when, if we die prior to that, where he takes us to be with him forever in heaven instantly. And then it happens in that fulfillment of all the promises in his second coming. But I want you to note is that both things, both what God will do to those who have persecuted his own and what God does to bless and to receive those who love him are both going to happen within that moment of his second coming. You see, Paul is teaching them more helping them understand more about the second coming and what it means. But he also is speaking into their circumstances when they're struggling, they're fearful, they're worried, and they're under this oppression. If you look at the next slide, I just want you to kind of think about this with me. There is a long view versus short view of God's justice and blessing that's here. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of a problem or a challenge, I want it to go away now. Am I alone on that? I don't think so. We just kind of want it all to go away now. That's the short view, right? And there are times that it does go away now, but there's other times it doesn't. I think about Paul. He understood that at the end of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, look, he says, I've prayed and prayed and prayed about this problem that I've got, and it just won't go away. And God has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to learn to live in the midst of that challenge because I will bring glory to myself through your weakness and my strength in you in it. So as we think about wanting our challenges to go away now, God would say to us as people of God, you need to know that the ultimate answer of those problems going away is when you and I get to go to heaven. But in the meantime, we have a tendency of wanting a very short, short view. At the end of the chapter in verses 11 and 12, he starts with verse 11 and he said, with this in mind, with what in mind? 
with this in mind that God is just and he will bring judgment on those that persecute you and he will bring blessing and joy to those who trust in him. With this in mind, what we're going to do in the meantime, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and in you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see the, the two points there. With this in mind, we pray constantly for you and for your now. You know, when someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm struggling right now, and, they, and you say to them, I'll pray for you. I hope you do. Sometimes we say it and then don't ever act on it. But when you and I can pray in the now for the circumstances that people have, that we would be able to pray that they will live out their life in faith by his power and that they would live in a way by which Jesus is glorified through his work and grace in each of our lives. There's some foundation for you. Chris, come on up. For 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and then we're gonna dig in next week. Chapter two is a lot more about the second coming, and it's that part that comes on this idea of the man of lawlessness. What's it mean that there is this kind of presence and reality of evil that precedes the second coming of our Savior? So we'll look at that next Monday. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then Chris is going to lead us in a song. God, I thank you for uh, time in your word today. And Lord, to think about each of our circumstances, sometimes uh, they're full of joy and celebration, and other times the challenges come. Uh, but in either case, Lord, we're praying that you would give us a biblical worldview that helps us to be able to see our life and our faith and our circumstances in light of your greater plan, and that is that you have prepared and equipped us for eternity. God, help us in the midst of those journeys, even if they don't go away this side of heaven to know that in your justice you have prepared a wonderful place for us as your children for all eternity. God, we thank you that in our desert moments, desert times of life, you're the God that comes and brings refreshment and encouragement to each of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris, lead us. Thanks. Mike, I especially like that verse 6. Um, does that mean that Kyle's going to be retaliated? And, and no, I'm just kidding, but yeah, our, our youth director pranked me last night, but um, this song, on a more serious note, I want to challenge you to offer this up as a prayer when you feel that challenge, when you feel that persecution. Use this song. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare God is my victory and he is here. And that's the simple message. So um, let's sing this together. my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry this is my prayer in my hunger and need God is the God who provides this is my prayer in the fire weakness or trial or pain there is a faith proof more worth than gold to refine me Lord through the flame I will bring praise, I will bring praise No weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice, I will declare God is 
my victory and he is here and this is my prayer in the battle and triumph is still on its way I am a conqueror co-heir with Christ firm on his promise I'll stand I will bring praise I will bring praise weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice, I will declare, that is my victory and He is here. And all of my life, in every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. my life in every season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship two more times here we go all of my life in every season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship Rest of God, I have a reason to sing, I have a reason to worship, I will bring praise, I will bring praise, no weapon formed against me shall remain, I will rejoice, I will declare, that is my victory. We shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare that is my victory in His This is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow. And I know I'm filled to be emptied again. The seed I've received, I will sow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for conflict because through conflict, we get to grow and we get the chance to bloom. Father, I just ask that you would be with us during that conflict and help us to approach it in the most appropriate way. We love you, Father, and we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit down upon us during this time and throughout the rest of our week and into this season. Most important thing, Father, is that we connect people to your Son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.